0: He said, Maybe you'd have me back someday if I would come. The main reason I don't go to preach at churches is because they don't invite me. <laughs> I have a little policy where they don't invite me, I don't go. So thank you so much for letting me come. You've been a wonderful, faithful crowd. You've had a great spirit, been very kind. And I enjoy getting to know so many of you. I'm really happy to see what the Lord's doing here at Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines. And look forward to hearing great reports about the days ahead. Open your Bibles to Psalm 19, if you would, please. The 19th Psalm. I was really kind of trying to go another direction, and the Lord kept pushing me back this way. And it may seem a little bit out of order to some of us. Uh, you might think if you have revival meeting, first you get all the sin taken care of. And then you talk about service and walking in the Spirit and uh, those kind of things. But you know, it's interesting if you look at the model prayer. What do you pray? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Boy, confession of sin came after praising God. Came after praying for your needs. Isn't that interesting? had a preacher friend. He and his wife were having company over the next day, and he was trying to help her get ready. And he said, let me do something. She said, no, 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 let me take care of it. She'd seen his help before, and uh, she wasn't interested. He said, i got to do something. Let me help you. And finally, he just decided to dust. They had a big dining room table, and he went in, and he got the pledge, and he got the rags, and he dusted everything out just as perfectly good as he can and spent the, a good part of the evening dusting it. He got up in the morning. And the sun was streaming in the dining room window and he could not believe how much stuff was still on that table. And he thought he'd done a really good, really careful job. And his wife said, Johnny, you always dust in the daylight. Isn't that interesting? So first the Lord deals with us about our walk with Him and some other things like that. And then we can see better the sin that he wants dealt with in our hearts and lives. Stand, if you would, with me as we begin to read in Psalm 119, the first several verses give us a revelation in the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. I like that. The heavens declare the glory of God. You don't have to have a Bible to know there's a God. You just have to look up some dark night. Then there's not only a revelation in the star in this psalm, there is a revelation in the Scripture. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is, what's the next word? Okay, let's just be kind of reasonable a little bit here. If you take something perfect and change it, what do you make it? Imperfect. Imperfect. So don't let anybody change your Bible, all right? It's already perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandments of the Lord, commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eye. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Wow. Gold's worth, I don't know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars an ounce. More to be desired are they than gold? Do you really mean that? Yeah. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Revelation in the stars, revelation in the Scripture. And Now the psalmist shifts to a third scene in this play that he's giving us, this passage. He now talks about a rescue from sin. Verse 12, he says, Who can understand his error?" Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be guided by your Spirit to say just what you once said. Dear Father, the very best I know I'm preaching the sermon you want me to preach. I don't know what you want to do. But I'm sure you want to do something in each of our hearts. Lord, help us to be honest and to be open. Bind Satan and his demons that they may fail as they seek to snatch the seed of your word away from our heart's soil. Help us to determine in our own lives now that we're going to listen and we're going to obey when you speak. Thank you for Pastor Keeley. What a wonderful wonderful ministry you've given him here and what a great job you're using him to do thank you for the opportunity to be part of this church for these days make this meeting all that you want it to be i ask in jesus name amen maybe seated i do want to say how much i admire and appreciate your pastor I go some places and the preacher spends, I used to do all two-day meetings, Mondays and Tuesdays, doing a little different now that I'm on the way out from pastoring, and uh, the preacher would spend two days telling me how bad his members were, and by the time I left, I felt really sorry for his members. Your preacher loves you, he appreciates you, he's telling me wonderful things the Lord is doing in your lives and what good people you are, and it's obvious that God is at work here and I appreciate him. And I appreciate getting it over with Brother Chris. Brother Chris has chauffeured me around some and I've enjoyed that. But, you know, I thought I should say a word about Brother Kenny as well. Brother Kenny has been here longer than the pastor. He's a man with unusual insight. His ability to discern the heart of a problem and give you scriptural applications and truths from it is exceeded only by um... his—I'm sorry, Brother Kenny, I can't read your writing— I hope I still get the $10. <laughs> I had a good lunch with Brother Kenny and Brother Chris today. Enjoyed it very much. I was reading this passage in my devotions a while back, and I, I read that phrase that said, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Now that word great transgression, or that term attracted my attention. Because I've heard people say, there's no such thing as big sin and little sin. All sin's the same with God. You ever heard anybody say that? Well, they may say it, but it ain't so. Because the Bible talks about a great transition, uh, transgression. I don't want to get real detailed on it. Great kind of means big. Transgression, that's kind of a sin. But don't tell me that jaywalking and murder are going to be the same at the judgment seat. Some sins in the Old Testament you got stoned for. Some you just had to go outside the camp for a few days. The Bible tells us in the New Testament there is a sin not in the death. Your brother commits it, pray for him. If he commits a sin in the death, don't pray for him. Some sins you get killed for, even in the New Testament. And then I thought, I wonder what a presumptuous sin is, because if I could be kept back from a presumptuous sin, I'd be upright and I'd be innocent from the great transgression. So notice, first of all, in our text that there are some degrees of sin. There are secret faults. The Bible talks about those who can understand his errors. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Verse 12. When I first read that, I thought that meant my sins that I know about that you don't. But that's not what it means. Because it says, who can understand His errors. Not me understanding your errors, me understanding my errors. You know what it means? It means a sin that I am committing that I don't even know is a sin. I went to Bob Jones Academy when I was Fifteen years old, to get out of high school year early, my mother only had one sister, nine years younger than her. My aunt had gone down there uh, to to meet a guy because she she she'd already graduated and was working, but she hadn't met anybody, so she went down there and, and when she was twenty nine years old, she married a forty nine year old man named Ralph Clough. They stayed married forever till he was eighty some and died and uh, they had three children enjoyed each other He, he was a little different. Uncle Ralph was well, go Rawr. I read twenty seconds. Rawr. And I was talking to a girl one night after supper at Bob Jones, 15 years old, and Uncle Ralph saw me, and went, Young men are not permitted to speak to young ladies after 6 o'clock. I thought, this guy's pretty cool. He's making fun of how strict they are here. Because obviously there couldn't be any rule like that. And I laughed, and he said, Young men are not permitted to talk to young ladies after 6 o'clock. I thought, well, you like the joke? He's telling it again. I found out there was a rule. <laughs> In the handbook I was supposed to have read that it said young men couldn't talk to young ladies after six o'clock, let's say at an approved place and on a chaperone date. Now I didn't know I was breaking the rule, but I was breaking the rule. Some things, see, people say all the time, Well, I don't see what's wrong with. Hey, guess what? Doesn't matter what you see, <laughs> matters what God And so there's secret sins. And then the Bible talks about presumptuous sins. And I wondered what they were. I'm going to come back to them in a minute. And then, then it talks about sins that have dominion over you. Sin starts out as our servant and becomes our master. I heard a story about a man that had a pet python named it Sam. And he would would say, Sam, come out of the cage. And Sam, the python would come and it would wrap himself around the man's body and he'd stand there kind of a sideshow and a circus deal. And then he'd say, Sam, go back in your cage. And the python would go back in the cage. Now you know about those pythons. You get some of them down in this part of the world and they can kill you. And one day, he always dressed up real fancy. One day, the, the snake came out, and the man didn't know it, but the back had come off of his tie tack. And the snake went around, it turned the tie over, and that pin was poking the snake's belly. Sang, go out of your cage. It wrapped and wrapped around. And the python got irritated by that, and began to constrict the man. Sam, go back in your cage. Sam, go back in Sam. And the people heard the bones crack. As the python squeezed the man, what happened? He'd been the master for a long time, but he wasn't the master now. Nobody, we have a housing minister at our church for men coming off drugs and alcohol, 25 to 30 men at any given time. Not one of them said, I would like to become a drug addict. All of them said, I can handle it. I can stop anytime I want. One time won't hurt it. I'm never going to become like those people over there. My dad ran the mission in Detroit. I told you. And not one person there said, I would love to be an alcoholic. Presumptuous sin. And then it had dominion over them. And then the Bible talks about the third degree of sin. It said it led them to the great transgression. God, I mean, really bad trouble and i thought well i wonder what a presumptuous sin is because if i can keep away from a presumptuous sin i won't go into the great transgression so i read the commentaries and i found no help so i was reduced to looking at the bible now open your bibles to numbers chapter 15 i looked up presumptuous sins this is pretty scary Verse 28, the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. When he sinneth by ignorance before the Lord, to make an atonement for him, it shall be forgiven him. I didn't know you weren't supposed to talk to your girls after six. Okay, it'll be forgiven you. Verse 30, but the soul that doeth ought presumptuously. Whether he be born in the land or a stranger, the same reproacheth the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Because he hath despised the word of the Lord and hath broken his commandment, that soul shall utterly be cut off, his iniquity shall be upon him. I had a teacher when I was in college he was an Arminian. He thought you could lose your salvation. He was fond of telling you that in the law there was no offering for a presumptuous sin. His implication was, and it seems to say in these verses, if you know it's wrong and you do it anyway, you're done. Now, can I tell you, if that's true, then I'm not saved. If that's true, you're not saved. I could ask you to raise your hand if you've never done anything wrong that you knew was wrong when you did it and anybody who raised their hand would be doing something wrong then. (laughs) Lying. I thought, wow. I wonder what that means. Does it mean that in the Old Testament anybody who ever did anything wrong they knew was wrong when they did it? died and went to hell. Moses smote a rock. He was supposed to speak to it. He didn't go into the promised land, but I'm pretty sure Moses is in heaven. And then I thought, I wonder if I can think of anybody that committed a presumptuous sin, and I wonder what happened to them and how God dealt with them. And I thought of this guy that was a, a leader, and it was time, the Bible says, when kings do battle. But he tarried still at Jerusalem. He knew he was supposed to fight, and he was going to go later. He wasn't skipping the battle. He just tarried. He's just going to wait a little while. And while he waits, he sees a woman taking a bath on the top of her house, his house higher than hers. She's real pretty. He says, man, who's that? And his servant tries to warn him off, says, that's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He says, "Get her for me." She comes to the palace, and they commit adultery. He sends her home. A little while later, she gets a message that says, uh, "We got a problem. I got a baby on the way, and my husband's off fighting in the battle." Oh, he says, "I can take care of that." Brings your husband Uriah home, and asks him how the battle's going, but it's all just a sham, a pretense. And then he sends Uriah home. He he says, go on home, enjoy the night. And Uriah never goes home. He stays out in the steps, the doorway of the king's house. And they tell David the next day, you may just want to know Uriah never went home last night. Now I wonder why they told him that. Our hidden sins are not as hidden as we like to think they are. So David says, that's not a problem, and he gets Uriah drunk. And he figures he's drunk, he'll go on home, he'll spend the night with his family, he'll think the baby's his when it comes. But Uriah had more character drunk than David did sober. He didn't go home, David says, no problem. He puts a message in his own hand, rolls it up, seals it with his seal, and melts wax and puts the seal on it. And he says to Uriah, take this back to Joab. And the message said, you put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle, and when it's really fierce, everybody withdraw from it. David knew two things. Number one, he knew Uriah would not look at that message. Number two, he knew Uriah wouldn't quit fighting even though everybody else left. This was a great and loyal servant of King David. Joab did it. It Happened just like David figured. Your died, he married Bathsheba. But there's this ominous little phrase at the end of the story in 1 Samuel. It says, but the thing that David, 2 Samuel, that David had done displeased the Lord. Would you call that a presumptuous sin? Anybody think, no, that was just kind of a secret sin? <laughs> he didn't know it was wrong? So I wonder what happened to David. I wonder, and I thought, well, I'm going to look at the Bible, and it says this in Psalm 51, Have mercy upon thee, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wait a minute, David, there's no offering for a presumptuous sin. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. No, you committed a sin presumptuously, you'll be cut off from your people. I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sin, and blot out all mine iniquities. Wait a minute. You know there's no offering for presumptuous sin. Why are you asking God to blot out all your iniquities? Created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You see, Old Testament believers weren't filled with the Spirit of God. Well, when Saul or Samuel anointed David with oil, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Whatever was happening, the Spirit of God was with David, and he didn't say, bring back that Holy Spirit. He said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David even thinks he can serve God again after this awful sin. And I'd remind you, it's not just David's prayer, it's the inspired word of God. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, though God of my salvation. My tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Watch verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice. I thought God did desire sacrifices. I thought he had specific sacrifices that were to be given for definite occasions. I thought there were regular times in the year when peace, feasts were to be observed and uh, the Passover lamb was to be given and the Feast of Trumpets and, other, and sometimes a meal offering to be given. And there were particular things God said, give this sacrifice, give this sacrifice, give this kind of sacrifice. But not now. Not when David has committed a presumptuous sin. Thou delight is not in burnt offerings. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And here's what it looks to me like the Word of God is saying. There are some sins you didn't know you did wrong. You go ahead and you make a sacrifice. Everything's all right, but you did wrong, and you knew it was wrong, and you reproached my name by that, and you disobeyed me deliberately, intentionally, and you rebelliously did what you wanted to do. Now you're not just going to make a sacrifice. you got to come to me and do business with me yourself. That is ours not. Sacrifice is else what I give it. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. A humbled spirit. One that's no longer resisting. One that's no longer excusing. One that's no longer explaining. One that is no longer rationalizing. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, that will not despise. You see, the degrees of sin we've giving you a definition of presumptuous sin, doing what you know is wrong. We looked at what the Bible says about that. Think for a minute about the devastation that is caused by presumptuous sins. Hey, I saw a woman down in Timnath, a Philistine girl. Get her for me, I'd like to marry her. Oh, Samson, isn't there anybody among God's people that you can marry? Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. And early on in the life of the strong man with a weak character, we find a tendency towards self-centeredness and it follows Samson all through his life. You'll never find one time when Samson, in obedience to God, doing what God called to do, fought the Philistines that it wasn't selfish. He was going to avenge himself. He was there to deliver Israel from the bondage of the Philistines. He never did that. And then you come to the end of Samson's life. You know the story of Delilah. He loves a woman named Delilah. She's not his wife. He's not supposed to be with her. Samson was a Nazarite. He'd taken a vow. Three things he was to do. He was never to drink wine. He was never to cut his hair. He was never to touch a dead body. We know he touched a dead body. He went to that lion that was filled with honey. We think he probably drank booze. We don't know for sure, but he never cut his hair. Monday Delilah says, Samson, tell me what's the secret of your strength? Well, he said, you know, if you bind me with new ropes, I'll be weak as anybody else. So she did. And she says, "Samson, the Philistines be upon me." And he woke up and popped those ropes like they were threads. And she said, "You lied to me. I thought you loved me. Why don't you tell me the truth?" Well, he said, "Bind me with bowstrings, green widths, the string that you'd use to launch an arrow from a bow." And she did. And she says, "Samson, the Philistines are upon me." Jumped up, popped the bowstrings. She said, you lied to me, you didn't tell me the truth, I thought you loved me. And he said, well, if you take the seven locks of my hair and weave them together and tie them to something sturdy, I'll be weak as any other man. He's getting closer to the truth, and she ties his hair to the beam of the house. Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And he jumps up and pulls the beam out and goes after him and gets him. Now, did you see that everything he said would make him weak, she did to him. I'm not real smart, but by this time I would have been doubting whether she had my best interest at heart. Ah, But sin blinds people. And one day Samson tells her the truth and she shaves his head. He said, I'm a Nazarite. I've never had a haircut. I made a vow to God. If I cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any man. And she does. And he is. And Samson doesn't even know it and says I'll go out as at other times and he wished not that the spirit of God had departed from it and Samson is captured by the Philistines and Samson is, has his eyes poked out and he's working with the work that an animal would do pushing a pole around that grinds grain between a couple of pieces of stone. What happened to Samson? I'll tell you what happened. A presumptuous sin finally had dominion over him and it led him to the great transgression. Well, he said, you're all going to be offended to me, Jesus did to the disciples before the night's over. Oh, Lord, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're forgetting something. What's that, Peter? Me. I'm here. You said we'd all be offended. I'll never be offended. Peter, before the rooster crows three times or two times in the morning, you'll have denied me three times at night. Now, Peter argues with Jesus. Would you consider it presumptuous to argue with the Lord? Lord, though all men should deny you, I'll never deny you. You know, Peter's just saying, I'm the very best Christian in the world. <laughs> if everybody else was wrong, I'll still do right. I'm better than everybody else. And you know the story. They come to take the Lord Jesus. Peter's boldly cuts off Malchus, the servant of the high priest's ear with his sword. And Jesus, and I'll put your sword up. Puts the ear back on. He watching from the distance of the trial of Jesus. And the little girl comes and says, you're with him, aren't you? No, 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 I, I don't know. Little lady, I know you are. Your speech sounds like that. No, no, I don't know who he is. And the third time he curses and says with an oath, I never knew him. Two things happen. Peter hears the rooster cry. And he looks over toward Jesus and Jesus is looking at Peter. I wonder what that look was like. Peter went out and wept bitterly. And Peter, when the disciples gathered together again, Peter said, I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to the old way of life. He didn't consider himself to be a disciple anymore. He figured he'd ruined it. He'd ended it. That's why the Lord Jesus said, go tell my disciples and. If he just said, go tell my disciples, he knew Peter wouldn't consider himself to be included. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. A presumptuous sin led him to the great transgression, had dominion over him. There's a man in uh, South Dakota who was the governor for a while, and then he became elected to be, be the only congressman from South Dakota. His name was Bill Jenklo. If you've been out to those western states, the roads are often very straight and the speed limits are pretty high. In Montana two-lane road is usually 70 miles an hour, 80 miles sometimes in the daytime. Bill Janko liked to drive fast, and he was the governor, and was going to give him a ticket. He was driving real fast one day in South Dakota, and he came to a stop sign. He decided nobody'd be coming, so he didn't stop. The 50-year-old Minnesota resident on a motorcycle drove legally through the intersection. Bill Janklow drove illegally and hit him and killed him. And he stood stunned as a jury of his peers found him guilty of manslaughter. And he wrote to the U.S. House of Representatives and he said, I'm sorry. I will not be able to come and serve my term as a U.S. representative from South Dakota. There's another term I've got to serve first. What happened? Presumptuous sin. Had dominion over him, led him to the great transgression. His preacher told the story. He was on the computer one night and something popped up and it wasn't very good. It said, if you want to see more, click here. And he clicked. And he was embarrassed and ashamed. He got down on his knees and asked the Lord to forgive him. A few nights later, there he was again. And he felt badly about that, but not too long after, there was again. And, and it got to be every night. He'd get out of bed when his wife was asleep. And it got worse and worse. And the preacher said, I stood and watched. As a North Carolina state trooper's car came to his house, the troopers took that man, put him in handcuffs, set him in the back of the car and took him to the North Carolina State Prison to serve his sentence for child pornography. What happened? Presumptuous sin? Had dominion over him, led him to the great transgression. What do you do about it? We talked about the degrees of sin. We looked at a definition. We've been considering some of the devastation it causes. Uh, How do you find deliverance? Well, look at our text. It says uh, in verse 12, it tells us what to do. It says, uh, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. You know, just start with the right view of yourself. What is the view of yourself? I'm not smart enough to know what's right and wrong. Lord, I cannot judge whether I'm doing right or wrong. You've got to help me, Lord. You've got to show me. You've got to point out in my life the things that I think are okay that you say are not okay. Second step of the deliverance is to recognize your weakness. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. You know, it's interesting. The, 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 the Bible tells us that we should pray and ask God to keep us from sin. It tells us that in the model of prayer lead us not into temptation. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God ever lead Christians into temptation? No. God cannot be tempted with evil. James said, neither tempteth he any man. And yet the Bible tells us then we should pray that that won't happen. You know why? Well, part of it is claiming a promise God made. Lord, you said you wouldn't do this. I'm trusting you not to do this. I'm trusting you to help with this. But a part of it is to just be aware all the time of your ability to do anything that anybody has ever done. Do you know you're made of the same stuff as Al Capone and Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler and Charles Manson are made of? Flesh. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Recognize your weakness. Request God's help. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sin. Realize the consequences they can have. Dominion over me. Remember to be acceptable. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. One of our assistant pastors says. Three children, his youngest son, who's a senior in our high school now, has mild autism. And they had to deal with him differently than their other children because he processed things differently. They didn't let him get away with wrong. And one of the most powerful things they found with Jordan, and Jordan's very open about his situation. He preached at our youth night the other Wednesday night, and he talked about his autism, talked about how he didn't like being weird and being different and what the Lord had taught him through that. One of the things that Brother Cowling found most helpful with Jordan, he would just ask him this question. If you tell him you're doing wrong, he could always argue. He could always argue his mother was wrong, his father was wrong. And he was very smart and very logical and very very definite about things. And so Brother Colling would just say, Jordan, are you pleasing the Lord right now? The Lord Jesus said, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. I wonder if we had a little card on our television that said "Please Him." Or we had one on our checkbook or our credit card, "Please Him." Wonder if uh, every time we had our phone out and started to text somebody or say something on Facebook or. Respond to somebody's tweet. There's that little word came up, please him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Nuclear power is extremely safe. It's not what they tell you in the paper, but it is. So I read about that that incident in Three Mile Island years ago. Yes, they had a, a radiation leak. At a nuclear plant in Three Mile Island, New York, did you know how much radiation they released? The equivalent of six dental x-rays. Your dentist puts more radiation out out in the air every day than they did at Three Mile Island. The one thing that is intriguing about it is that it becomes very unstable, that nuclear power plant, if the turbines run at too low of a speed. The best you could say for the scientists in the control room that night is that they were conducting an unauthorized experiment. They slowed down the turbines just to see what would happen. There had been all kinds of fail-safes and protections built into the system, and sure enough, a voice came out over the computer and said, dangerous, caution, go no further. So they manually overrode it, and they slowed it down some more. And it came out again, dangerous, caution, go no further. And they overrode that. And it came out again, and it's a dangerous caution. Go no further. If I remember the story correctly, six times they ignored the warning. They slowed down the turbines. you'll understand how serious was their offense when I tell you that the scientists were Russian scientists. and the nuclear power plant, they experimented with was in Chernobyl. And they caused the greatest nuclear incident and the largest industrial accident in the history of the world. Now here's what I need to think about. I want you to think about. I wonder how many times the Spirit of God has said to us, caution, dangerous. Go no further. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. I didn't give you a list tonight. I didn't tell you all the things that you could be doing that are wrong. Because if I had a list and I missed your sin, you'd think you're okay. (laughs) But God knows and God's Spirit knows and He'll tell you. Heavenly Father, would you please... Speak to my heart and to all of our hearts. Those areas where we know what we do does not please you, but we have done so anyway. And help us to see that if we continue, they'll have dominion over us and they'll lead us to the great transgression. But that if we'll ask your guidance and your help, depend on your power and your grace, we can be kept back from presumptuous sins and be innocent of the great transgression. My head's about, eyes are closed. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But if you're like me, my tendency is to find some reason that this really isn't about me. My sin's just little. It's nothing that would cause my marriage to end or disqualify me from service for God or keep me from my position in the church. It's way smaller than other people's sins I know about. That's that's how I am. I asked you a question about Peter. I said, would you say that it's presumptuous to argue with God? I wonder how many of us are tempted to do that. I say, you know what? There's something in my life that needs to be dealt with. The Spirit of God has made it clear. And I'm not going to argue with God. I'm going to obey God. Would you do that tonight? If you will, would you do something real unusual? Would you get up out of your seat right now? Come to the altar. Find a place to do business with God. Don't wait to see what somebody else is going to do. Just act obediently to the Spirit of God. Don't presume. Don't rationalize. Don't. Think about what somebody else might do. Just act obediently. Lord, thanks for these are coming. Continue to work in our hearts, draw us to yourself. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Those of you out-